1: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest on them all, our good pal BFD, here to do an uh, emergency Texans Panthers podcast after today's. I think it was 1610, uh, 1613. I think it was 1610. Their loss to the Carolina Panthers.
0: Yeah, so just imagine we've got like the drudge sirens out right now. Woo,
1: woo, woo, woo. Yeah, it, I. It's not entirely like that because I've been wanting to record the show on Sunday night for a while. It's a little bit of inside baseball, um, just because it's a bit more, you know, pertinent to what just happened. Also, it's more fun talking about the game the day it happens instead of waiting two days from now and having, like, you know, clean the dog hair out of my brain. You know,
0: <laughs> I wanted the sirens. You're you're letting me down without the sirens.
1: <laughs> no sirens this time. Uh, but did you know that the Texans have won the best young quarterbacks in football? invested three first-round picks and two second-round picks into their offensive line, have the best wide receiver, a speed demon number two wide receiver, competent number three wide receivers, two good running backs, and they couldn't score more than 10 points against Carolina's defense that lost. That was missing two of its foul starters in Dante Jackson and uh, Kawan Short. Did you know that?
0: I, I knew that. I just happened to watch the game and picked up on that. And... uh I, I don't know. At this point, I'm pretty speechless. You know, I, it's it's almost like an expectation that we're going to do. We're going to have stupid games like this because of Bill O'Brien. And this was a really, we, we play a lot of stupid football for a really talented team. And today was like peak stupid football, Big Matt.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the kind of the stupidity, it kind of starts with the passing game and kind of bleeds from there throughout it. So Watson was 21 for 33 in this game. He had 160 yards. And uh, this comes out to four point eight yards in attempt, which is like really close to Namer Dacta territory. Like we're not quite there, but we're getting close at four point eight yards in attempt. He was sacked six times. He was hit ten times. His longest completion went for fourteen yards, and that was like a you know give up. We have zero timeouts left. We try and tie the game uh, deep out to DeAndre Hopkins, and it was also that run the ball behind the or get motion behind the line of scrimmage, be completely wide open, throw to Kenny Stills, where he pulled up with a apparent hamstring injury, too. Uh, these were on deep passes that went farther than 10 yards to the air. He was 2 for 10 for 24 yards, including two deep overthrows to Fuller and Hopkins. Uh, so what was up with him in this game? Was it the pass protection? Was it the scheme? Did he just miss throws? Uh, what were you seeing in this one from him?
0: I mean, it's a great question. I, I wish I knew a little bit more about what was going on with the play calling. And, and you know, watching the, the All 22 is going to be really clutch on this game. But what I saw was a quarterback who was being confused by the coverage, but at the same time, who understood what was happening with the coverage, which yeah. I, I realized very different things. But that's, you know, you asked me what I saw, that's what I saw. Um, that, you know, clearly he's holding on to the ball too long. But I think ultimately what I saw and what I see week in, week out is a quarterback who, who um, is just not a, a, a pocket quarterback to his true form and definition, but he's being forced to be a, a pocket quarterback, being forced to make multiple reads. And that's where I have such a hard time with Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, is he he keeps trying to stick Deshaun Watson's round egg into a square hole, and that ish ain't going to work. And I think today was kind of the highlight of that. When you add in the fact that Carolina – was 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 blitzing unlike what the chargers did when they're you know running rushing four or rushing three with a guy in spy they were coming after watson and making him very uncomfortable in the pocket when he put all those things together this is exactly what i would expect from the deshaun watson game we
1: well, are yeah, like a bad deshaun watson game it's not not, bad. Not, okay. yeah, not, a lot of bad pass pressure nothing open or like unable to hit the throws downfield when they're there. And then live, like, you know, short passes that don't really mean much. And then whenever you do have some guys to open their misses and it was just, I mean, overall it's a bad game from him. The kind of thing I saw scheme wise, you know, it's hard whenever the guys run past your television screen, you know, uh, to kind of get <laughs> a feel for that. But I think Caroline played a lot of man coverage at the beginning of the game, which is really surprising. It was James Bradbury one-on-one against Hopkins. Uh, They were kind of doing what other teams did where they would double Fuller and run with him deep and then kind of play like, and then like Keekley and Thompson run around underneath zone from there. And like Keekley does some wild things too, where he, you know, chases the post underneath where he baits here and runs out here. And it's just like, you don't, it's hard. It's like really uncomfortable throwing the ball against Carolina because they have the, the because of how they use their linebackers. But I think what happened was that Hopkins wasn't really utilized at all. And the text in those in that one versus one match against Bradbury, which he should have, because Bradbury's like good and long, but he's not Jalen Ramsey. He's not going to be able to lock down Hopkins throughout an entire game. And they went back to throwing the ball really quickly. It was a lot like Los Angeles, where they're th- the balls out in one and a half seconds, two seconds. It's a lot of um, you know sixties quick passing, and it's inefficient. And like it just wasn't there because Carolina switched, and they were just playing zone coverage. Sitting, you know, seven yards behind the line of scrimmage and just sitting on those like short curls, those short outs, uh, those slants and those sorts of route calls and just nothing was really open at all. And then whenever you have nothing open against the zone and you have nothing breaking downfield, then you're stuck in the pocket and then you get sacked and then it's second and 14, it's third and 19. And now you're pretty much one-dimensional where you're running, yard, you're running routes that are now 18 yards down the field, but they're sitting on those routes too. And so, like, I think Houston's passing offense just became, you know, it's either 1st and 10 or 2nd and 7, and it's a quick game. Okay, it's zone coverage, nothing's there. All right, now it's 3rd and 8, it's 3rd and 14. Uh, we need to get a 1st down. Oh, now they're sitting on that too. And they were not able to win that 1-1 on matchup with Hopkins versus Bradbury at all too. And so that's what I saw, you know, kind of schematically in this one from Watson's passing offense.
0: Yeah, and one thing I want to really kind of focus on as we're talking about that is that the early play calling is so conservative. And I I might be wrong, but at at the start of the game, he was something like 8 for 10 for like 48 yards or something ridiculous like that. So they were doing some quick quick hitting passes to get the ball out of his hands. But look, that's not Deshaun Watson's game. Deshaun Watson's game is to push the ball downfield. And if you start by by just making him dink and dunk his way down the field, you're taking him out of Watson's you know kind of inherent rhythm as a as a pass thrower.
1: Yeah, and I know that first drive they had was 11 plays, 21 yards, which is which is hilarious to read. The other one was nine plays, 41 yards, which is also pretty fun to read. And that ended with a missed field goal from Fairbairn that was you know 51 yards. But those are both your eyes for they stuck into some long third down situations. Uh, you know they faced a third and a second and twelve that became third and nineteen the first one and then the second drive they faced a third and six that was that incompletion to Fuller where he just kind of like missed him on that one and so it was it was that and like also that that second drive was working out really well and then Kenny Stills went out and it just seemed like they never kind of picked back up from that too um, and I also like the important thing was that and the most important thing about Watson this game is that whenever he has games like this where the short game isn't working. He's missing some throws. Uh, he's like, there's a lot of pass pressure. Is that he has to hit on the deep deep throws that are available? And I felt like the Texans didn't really take very many shots all downfield. But he did miss a wide open DeAndre Hopkins. He missed a wide open Will Fuller. And he typically hits those passes. And those are probably two touchdowns that were left on the field because of it. And whenever you're, you know, kind of stuck in this box and stuck in this quick game on first and second down, uh, you know, and then third and fourteen. And everybody sitting on sitting at the sticks from there. Like those are the places that you have to make to make them this one too.
0: Yeah, and that's true. And one of the things that I'm seeing on the interwebs is that, you know, Deshaun Watson is completely reliant upon making those big passes. He's he's that's you know, that's his kind of bread and butter to be creative. Like he, he can't do the small stuff. He has to he has to be successful in the longer throws in order to be successful all around. And that's I'll just say right now, that's a bunch of rubbish, right? The guy can do a lot of things with the ball down the field. But um you know, him missing those two passes hurts. But again, you have to game plan for a guy like Watson, and that's what I don't see, is you have Bill O'Brien who who all of his success and, and I'm I've got a post on this ready to go, all of Bill O'Brien's success as an NFL or as a as a football offensive like a genius is centered around Tom Brady and Tom Brady being a pocket passer, and so now Bill O'Brien cannot think outside of that box. That that's how you can be successful doing other things. You can be successful not being Tom Brady. It's it's possible. Patrick Mahomes proves it every Sunday, but but Bill O'Brien insists on using Watson like Brady, and it's a big massive failure. And I think that's ultimately what hurts Tom Watson, the most is. Bill O'Brien sucks at being an offensive coordinator. I mean, he's—it's not that he just sucks; he's straight trash as an offensive coordinator.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one well, also the thing too is that Caroline makes that adjustment when they're not playing man, and they go this more more zone like the second quarter or you know the midway through the second quarter, and they're not like Caroline's pretty much just running cover two and the running cover three, and they're not really changing anything at all to attack the sorts of routes, you know flooding the zone at all they weren't uh you know find the soft spots in this in this sort of situations too and like again like i think watson was just in a lot of disadvantageous you know passing situations because of you know what they had going on in this one um and the other thing so watson was he averaged 8.3 and 10 air yards and then he his his uh, completion air yards was 2.8 which is a difference here of you know six point five yards, and so like they did throw the ball downfield, and obviously like this is inflated by those two like sixty yard heaves that were missed, but like there was some pushing on the field, but just everything was just so short. There were so many passes to like Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde that were tackled immediately too, Um there just wasn't of like, creativity in the passing game. It was Hopkins on one sideline, Fuller on the other sideline, and neither one of them were able to find spots in the zone coverage, and then everything just becomes you know short to running backs and dump offs and. There's nothing open, and the pass rush closes in uh, as well. Too on top of it,
0: yeah. And the biggest play of the game was that throw to Carlos Hyde, which was actually behind. You know, as it was a backward pass, so it turned out to be a run for Carlos Hyde. So a lot of it that we saw was that, was those dumps. And oh my gosh, it just. I, I think about what we do with Watson, and it, it really it really drives me off the wall because I see a guy who. If, if if Gary Kubiak is his head coach, he's going to be doing bootlegs. He's going to be move, They're going to move the pocket around for him. They're going to create tons of easy yards down the field. And that's the one thing Bill O'Brien absolutely refuses to do is create easy yards. He wants his quarterback to play a lovely dimensional chess as he's sitting there in the pocket. And it's total rubbish.
1: Yeah, and there there weren't a lot of really open throws here for it. Um, there were. I don't know, it was just, it was just such a weird game too, especially if you combine the uh, pass pressure that they had as well. And so. Their their thing is like they went it felt like they went not have a lot of three wide receiver sets once Kenny Stills was hurt. And then went to Cutie and so Cutie was one for three for eleven yards in this game. He also tried to catch that one pass that went to DeAndre Hopkins that would have been a first down. And like even going back to right. this preseason, going back to you know the beginning of this year too, like once he got healthy again, they just haven't like clicked at all. And so like what kinda of, what's your idea of what happened to him between the summers? Cutie's just a bad player. Or because of the injuries, they can't rely on him, and the Stills straight pushed him down the depth chart. And um, like, because again, they they lost that third wide receiver option whenever Stills went out, and QD was supposed to break out this year, and everybody was very excited for him, and he just did really nothing at all after you know, after Stills went out in the first quarter.
0: Uh, you know, I do think it's the injuries that's really taken a toll on his ability to develop as a as a wide receiver, but. The other thing I'm kind of getting the feel of, and I'm, I'm just going to say it straight up, is, and this is pure speculation, is I really think that for some somehow Cutie is in Bill O'Brien's doghouse. And one thing that we've learned is that you get in Bill O'Brien's doghouse, you never come out, right? That you're just gone, you're done forever. I'm really terrified about uh, Gehail Waring because he's already in Bill O'Brien's doghouse. So I'm, I kind of get that feeling, and I don't know. You know, we had really high expectations, and then. Uh, for Cutie in the off season, and then there was the trade and Stills, and Stills is getting a lot of snaps, and then starting to steal snaps from Cutie. The only thing I can point back to is the injuries, but something is also telling me that there's there's more here than just Cutie. Yeah. And his, and his injuries, I don't know. It's, it's, again, speculation.
1: Yeah, maybe you feel like he didn't rehab like J.J. Watt rehabs whenever he got hurt that hamstring injury last year or something.
0: Right. There, there, there seems like there's something else there. I don't know.
1: Um, we had a question from Connor S underscore 28. And he asked, uh, what do you think was going on downfield? Were receivers covered? Were these long breaking routes? Deshaun not seeing short intermediate routes, tend of throw into tight windows. So like kind of going back to what we were discussing just a second ago, like what, what did you see about the passing offensive from Watson and why like everything was either short or he's trapped and he's sacked. I think that
0: Watson is getting to the point where he is turning into uh, David Carr. To some extent, that he's really gun shy back in the pocket. He's really terrified. He was really worried about the blitz in this game. It seemed to me that he was he, he was not keeping his eyes down the field uh, as much as he should be. Uh, he had there were several throws that he had somebody in his face where he was trying to make a throw that didn't help. Um, they it seemed like Carolina when they weren't playing man were playing a lot of cover four, which I think also confused. Um, watson quite a bit uh and then eric reed has such a strong game for them at safety and uh keekley in the middle is just such a an athlete and he does so many things in the middle of the field he took away a lot of those plays i think it was just that kind of combination that you know reed keekley and and the pass rush rattled him early and often maybe it's just me so i'm going to ask you the question did it seem like watson was just rattled from the get-go in this game
1: uh, it seemed like after that missed field goal and he missed that, it was seemed only after that throw where he missed to. Well, that's not true because that came at the end of the first half. I don't know, like once, I, just, I the way it felt to me was after Stills got hurt and they had those two drives that were like really low and effective. But they had first downs and were kind of grinding. That that kind of changed there because he had that first sack on 3rd and 12 that became a, or on 2nd and 12 that became 3rd and 19. And I think from that point on, it kind of shifted with it. Uh, I don't know if he took too big of a hit or something along those lines, but I don't even know how much of it was just being rattled versus just what Carolina did with just like how they went back to their zone coverage and just sitting on everything short and then getting in these longer, and then he's holding on to the ball, which leads to the sacks, which leads to these long third downs, which then makes it you're really hard to convert on third and 14 against the zone-heavy team that Carolina is. That also has the ability to run underneath everything with Thompson and too.
0: Yeah, and one other thing I'd like to mention is that Against the Chargers, he was he was disapparating, right? He was just disappearing and showing up somewhere else at will. And the Panthers did not allow him to do that this game. They were making sure they were splitting out, but they were getting the inside pressure to keep him more in, uh, in the middle. So they weren't allowing him to get out of the pocket and do those special things that he does on broken plays. I think ultimately, for me, that was the biggest difference yeah. in the game between today and the Chargers is that, you know, he, he didn't get his owls on disapparating today. So there, are, there are your Harry Potter references for your Harry Potter geeks like me.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And in that Chargers game, I think the reason for that was that the Chargers have Bosa and Ingram selling out to rush the passer, which creates a lot of holes in the center of the line of scrimmage. And like babe, wasn't good that game. Jeffrey Tillery's been bad so far as a rookie. And the Chargers don't have any other pass rush aside from what they get from Ingram and Bosa. And you look at this Carolina's front, and you have Gerald McCoy, you have Mario Addison, you have Bruce Irvin. You have Brian Burns. You have Gerald... I already said Gerald McCoy. Kyle uh, Love is actually kind of like an okay pass rusher, even though he weighs like 375 pounds. Don Terry Poe is not a very good pass rusher, but he's like sturdy in the inside. They have... A, and then... I think it's Ogaba. He's the guy who's actually from England as well, too. They have, like, a a deep, you know, defensive line. And so the difference between that is that you don't have two guys who are pushed all the way out to the opposite sideline whenever he goes to step up to scramble. You have, like, four guys who are pushed in the pocket, who are constricting the pocket, and you're giving him less space to work with. And so, yeah, I think a lot of the app rating that he missed out in this game was mainly just because this is a really good uh, Panthers front. This is the best pass rush they played this year. Uh, this I don't know. I had to look, look at the numbers and everything, but I think it's probably the best pass rush they're going to play this year. And again, Watson was hit 10 times and he, he was sacked 6 times. And so BFD, do you think the offensive line was beat with like a lot of one-on-one rushes? Do you think Carolina blitzed more than you expected? Do you think they crave free rushers? What did you see with the pass protection here?
0: I, and I just want to say, because I don't want to forget this point, the, the shot that Deshaun Watson took on his Hail Mary...
1: That, oh, that was bad. It was bad.
0: He was blowed up oh my gosh uh it looked like it was, a, it was a lot of one-on-ones it was a lot of stunning that carolina did to confuse the uh, texas offensive line i mean again this is like permutation number 852 since august on the texas offensive line today especially with no fault in there right so uh, there, there was a lot of that's what i saw stunts and one on ones and just collapsing the pocket all around, not allowing Watson to step up or step outside of the pocket.
1: Yeah. I think, like, one on one, they they play pretty well. Like, Howard, I think, only got beat once, and they're really rushing wide against him. Uh, you know, Tensil's really good. He did get up that one sack because, you know, Tensil's hands are like, Tensil's hands need to get better. And whenever you block for Watson, he's going to hold on to the ball. He's going to try to extend plays. And so you can't, like, go three fourths through a block. Like you can't like block for two point seven five seconds and then let the defense in turn the quarter. Like go, you know, like that's gonna get Watson hit because of how he plays. I think on the interior they have bigger problems. I think Greg Minks had a bad game pass blocking. I know Shaq Thompson had that sack. They did a lot of like good loops over Nick Martin, where Nick Martin just isn't. It's hard to tell from the sideline view that we have, but like Nick Martin isn't really passing his stunts off from the inside that well either. Um, and like he, I, I think one of the things I'm gonna start riding me just once a week whenever you watch the video, Nick Marr makes like one block a game where you're like, what What are you even doing here? <laughs> like, what is this where he just like <laughs> grabs a guy around the neck and slings him down? Or like you have no idea who he's blocking. It's also weird too because it seems like they don't they don't shift their uh, their protections correctly too. And so I don't know what their rules are, why they do what they do, but I kind of least to some of that too. But yeah, I don't really think this was a, a, a case where the pass protection was that bad. I think it was more Carolina covered very well and gave their guys three seconds, three and a half seconds to get there, and then just by constricting the pocket by pushing it rather than winning a bunch of one versus one uh, moves, that led them holding on to the ball and trying to escaping and running into some sacks too. Uh, I forgot Vernon Butler was in this game and had that forced fumble at the end of it, and you know he hasn't done very much since his rookie year as well. But whenever you have four really good athletes out there and four good defensive linemen, you're not getting the same opportunities that he had, you know, against Los Angeles, against New Orleans, where New Orleans has you know. Three good pass rushers, but they blitzed him a lot. Against Jackson, where Campbell looked hurt. Yannick Ngakwe was out. Uh, you know, this was a really good pass rush, and I think they, they were able to do a really good great job at constricting him in there. And then blitz occasionally whenever they needed to just supplement it. Uh, I do think Carolina could have blitzed more than they could. They could have blitzed more, but they kind of saved it for big plays like that Eric Reid. Um, you know, whenever he came off the edge and forced that fumble, that Shaq Thompson sack on second down, they kind of saved it for special circumstances, which worked out really well for them, too. Yeah, their timing seemed to be great. It was, dare
0: I say, very Romeo Cornell esque that they were, you know, saving those good blitzes for third down.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's four weeks. We have four, we've seen four different offensive lines. The waterbed is constantly shifting underneath Bill O'Brien uh, every Saturday night as he comes into Sunday with a new unit coming in. So this game, Zach Fulton was expected to start right guard. He didn't play. Uh, Lato on Twitter asked why? Why didn't Zach Fulton play? And then uh, I saw that he may have had a back injury, but then it was rescinded. But like nothing like for sure came out for that. And then also it said he just like wasn't w- in warmups and wasn't there. Like was on the sideline. Nobody saw him. So I have no idea why Zach Fulton didn't play. Uh, were you able to see anything at all in your end?
0: No. And outside of the game, I've been working all. That gum day so i haven't seen anything
1: yeah i i didn't see anything really well, substantial either for it
0: so when you see me turning around i'm looking at the tv so matt and i do these video calls and so he's probably wondering why the hell i'm turning around all the time that's where the tv is and that's but all the,
1: it's all good um, <laughs> yeah and like like fulton's like he has been fine like he's been very average i think he's done a really good job at creating movement on the first level and like really giving Nick Martin easy blocks to make in the run game, especially on like outside zones, uh, plays where he's shoving, you know, the defensive tackle all the way to Martin just to force feed him or Martin just has to latch on and hold on. But I don't think Fulton's like played bad enough to warrant benching him for Greg Manx. So I don't know if this is something where he's injured. I even joked in my six things to watch for. That was like, I think Houston finally found their starting five offensive line, but I felt the same way the week before and who knows, it's only a matter of time until Zach Fulton's not Bill O'Brien guy anymore. So maybe this is another one of those circumstances, too, where uh, you know, Zach Fulton may be in the doghouse or maybe they just feel like his performance hasn't been good enough lately and they want to give Manx a shot. But I really have no idea at all uh, what happened with him today. I don't. And I don't think his play has warranted him being benched as well, either.
0: No, there have been times he's easily, easily been the best offensive lineman over the past two years. So that would be... Rubbish.
1: Yeah, I think he was last year. and he, I think he was their best offensive lineman in that New Orleans game, too.
0: Oh, easily. Easily.
1: Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure what was going on there with Fulton. The one thing I also want to bring up the offensive line, too, while we're on it, is that Pro Football Focus has Nick Martin rated as a better offensive lineman than uh, Larry Tunsell through four weeks. So that's always a fun fact. Or through three weeks entering this game, Nick Martin's better than Larry Tunsell. I don't
0: know. I, I think about five or six times a game, I say to myself, "Wow, we really should extend Nick Martin for three more years." I don't. Uh, he he's not good. I mean, he's he's just generally he's not good. Yeah. I don't
1: like him. Uh, also, I like all the missed snaps he's had lately too. Like he snaps O'Brien's runs of when uh, Watson's not ready. He also snapped him into that five-yard penalty too, where he snapped the ball before he should have, and that sort of thing, which is just kind of, kind of funny as well. Um, Like I always say about him, he's like a point guard who can rebound because a center who can pass block really isn't that important, you know.
0: No, and, and the, <laughs> the other thing is, is it's very much a, yeah, Nick Martin, you know, he only had you know, two snaps today. Otherwise, he played great, you know. It's like, you know, and uh, otherwise, how was the play? Mrs. Lincoln type stuff, you know. He's making huge mistakes, but the rest of the game is sometimes decent.
1: I don't, I don't I wouldn't even say that. He just he doesn't do anything in the run game at all. Uh we had a question here from Coach Dent and he asked why the Texans haven't been run the ball more towards Tunsil's side. So on the left side of the line of scrimmage today, uh Carlos had seven carries for fifty one yards, Duke Johnson had five carries for fifty two yards, and that comes out to ten carries for hundred seven yards total. Uh so you know it, it seemed like they had like a and also going back to that chargers game too, like the Laramie Tunsil, Max Sharping inside zone blocks are awesome. The Laramie Tensil, Max Sharping's backside, backside outside zone blocks have been really good too. Those two guys together have already worked together really well in the run game. And whenever you have a game where Watson's averaging four point six seven yards of attempt, uh, where he has you know where he's he's struggling to really find anything at all going, and it's also like a game where they're only down by three points, by six points, is the game's tied for the majority of it. Uh, why don't why don't you think Houston ran more to the side? Is that just because of where the cutback angles go? Uh, or do you think they should be running more power, more inside zone towards Sharping and Tunsil?
0: No, and just a caveat with those numbers, and they're great numbers, and even with the caveat, they're great numbers, is that uh, highest 34, or 5-yard carry, you know, that pass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's also part of that, that went to the left side. Behind, and then Johnson uh, those those that
1: guys. big run, too.
0: Yeah, almost back-to-back, right? Mm-hmm. So you have kind of some outliers there, but I, I don't... Get it? I don't even recognize Carlos Hyde. I mean, Carlos Hyde didn't have this quicks in college, so he looks like a completely different player to me. Oh my gosh! Um,
1: and he's slobbering in the red zone too, in anger.
0: Right? He just... I, who is this guy? It's like you know somebody else put on his uniform. Um, I don't know why they should be doing it more often. Because look, the fact is we're being successful doing those kinds of things. To that side, I guess if you want to point to kind of the underlying problem with it is Bill O'Brien likes to use a lot of power run game and those two guys, Sharping and Tunsil, are doing a great job with, with more of the zone game. And I wonder if there's kind of a disconnect there with the with the strategy. I don't know, just a thought.
1: Yeah, I I don't think they've like I do think they can block the outside zone with sharping with Tunsil right I mean with sharping with Howard right now. Like Howard's a really bad outside zone blocker. Uh sharping's not very good like his you know, he doesn't it's hard to to go from not really doing much in college to running that scheme uh, like that. I think they're much better running inside zone, though. And then with power, like, you know, Sharping went to pull to kick out on Shaq Thompson earlier this game, you know, with completely. Greg Manks had some trouble pulling as well going back the other way. They run Dart pretty well, which is kind of fun. to see Larry Tunsil pulling lead the way. But, yeah, I think Power and counter don't work that well, unless it's like Dart, which, which uh, just only has the tackle pulling. But I would like to see them run more inside zone plays. And I know, like, they kind of, they kind of set up some backside uh, cutbacks, too. And the problem is that they just don't block the second level well. There is a really good cutback that Carlos Hyde had in this game, and he got tackled by the linebacker because Greg Minks tried to cut and missed him completely. And so, I, you know, the outside zones is a play. Like, you just run it a lot, and everything else is kind of a supplement off of it, like a curveball off of that. Like, your fastball is the outside zone. And throughout Bill O'Brien's time here, the run game's been a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything. And I think for sure, like, I just would kind of stop running the outside zone, uh, completely maybe run it like one or two times a game, and try to stick with more, you know, between the tackles, inside zone plays, and then let High cut the ball outside wide as needed. And stop trying, you know, cut everything back to the weak side in the other direction. Because again, whenever you're not blocking the second level well, those runs really aren't there. And I think you saw that a lot in this Carolina game, too. With Keekly and Thompson able to diagnose, dodge the, the guard rolling around the ground and make some easy tackles too.
0: Yeah, and I think ultimately that problem was playing Keekly and Thompson. Those two guys played a heck of a game today.
1: I think this was the best game I've seen Thompson play. And like I've been waiting for him to like be great for like mm-hmm. four years now, you know. And I've watched a lot of Carolina games uh, you know over the last four years since he's been drafted. And like Thomas Davis has been bad in Los Angeles, and so it's been like that was obviously the right decision decision to make. To make you know Thompson that second linebacker, and like Carolina's fun too because they're so multiple. Like you see them run four three, you see them run three four, you see them run nickel. They can do pretty much anything they want with the depth they have at defensive line, and with those two guys at linebacker.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like watching the Texans in a lot of way.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the Texans defense they allowed sixteen points in this game. They forced three fumbles. They recovered all three of them. So. Do you think the Texans had, like, had a good defensive game in this one, or do you think their defense was masked by these three plays?
0: I, I think that's a really great and you know thoughtful question, I, and I've been thinking about it uh, since I saw it, or I've been thinking about this for a while you know, after the game, and I've kind of been processing the game. And one of the things that, that keeps coming to mind is that we, we played Kyle Allen. So, but he didn't look so bad. But then they have Christian McCaffrey and they helped him to like right at 4 yards a carry, right? I think that Texas had a very good defensive game, and I'm going to stick with that. I think that Jonathan Joseph, you know, he played a pretty good game. I think that Bradley Roby played a pretty good game. I think that Lonnie Johnson was 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 pantsed a couple of times. But overall, what we've seen is um the emergence of I'm going to say it right now all pro DJ Reader in the middle of that defense is creating so much havoc that he's allowing Watt and Merciless. He, he's driving, you know. Reader's pushing quarterbacks out of the pocket and is allowing Watt and, and Merciless to do a lot of damage. I mean, we have such a really nice group kind of um, effort that's going on with that defensive line that's creating so much havoc. So that's why I'm just going to stick with. And, and Kenningham and McKinney had Mac had good games, but it, I think it's a lot of it sitting around Reader. Collapsing the pocket and not allowing quarterbacks to step up and do anything. I think that's kind of driving everything for that defense.
1: Yeah, and Matt. I think I think for Merciless especially too, because the game against Jacksonville, he was able to win two rushes with you know, the, or he was able to win three rushes, two with a spin move, one with a quick inside move. But other than that, like everything's really wide and looping with him. It's knock the hands away, punt, uh, rip outside, and then take these like really circular um, routes back to the quarterback. These rushes typically don't affect the quarterback at all. A great example, this is Vic Beasley in Atlanta. He has so many rushes where he gets around the offensive tackle, but he's seven yards behind the quarterback upfield. That doesn't matter at all whatsoever. And then whenever you take DJ Reader just being like a completely different person this year and the ability to drive the center backwards to force the quarterback back uh, has created a lot of, you know, havoc in that regard. And like, I think Merciless has been very good this year, but like, I think this, you know, this idea that he's hands down better than Clowney as a pass rusher is entirely true because Merciless has been better than Clowney was as a pass rusher in a situation where his DJ Reader just throwing him alley oops throughout the game. Uh, the Saints game is a great example of it. His force, his stumble in this game is a perfect example of that, of him forcing it back into it. Um, uh, I think, I think overall, I think this game for Carolina on offense you can kind of match really well with what Houston's offense did where Kyle Allen didn't hit on very many deep passes. Um, in this game, he averaged 6.8 yards in attempt, and then he also had... He averaged 6.8 yards in attempt in this game, and he was throwing the ball downfield. He was 5 for 11 for 83 yards. He drew a defensive pass interference penalty, too, but there was four deep passes that were right by the wide receiver that weren't caught, whether it's because the ball hit the guy in his hands. It could have been defensive pass interference penalty that wasn't called, like it was a... You know, maybe a coin flip sort of call that didn't go Carolina's way as well, too. But, like, he he threw some really nice throws down there that just weren't hit. And you saw the same thing with Houston as well. The difference, though, is that, you know, the Panthers have Christian McCaffrey. And I think he was the best player on the field in this game. Uh, he had 37 touches for 179 yards and a touchdown. In the passing game, he had 10 catches for 86 yards. And he stole a challenge from Bill O'Brien as well, too, with that, you know, three tips <laughs> to himself catch. Uh, which was like, you know, probably worth like at least 1.03 war in this game too. And so (laughs) like, that's kind of the difference between Bill O'Brien's offensive coordinator and Norv Turner's offensive coordinator, where you're missing on these deep passes. But Norv throughout this game was able to, you know, create open throws for his guys. And like, sure, it helps to have Lonnie Johnson, like big and bumbling on the outside and Joseph to be older and slower. Uh but like they he there's just a lot of throws that they were able to create open by sitting in between defenders and that sort of thing that Houston didn't do on their end. And like you can make the same excuse for Allen that you can make for Watson. The difference is that Carolina just had much better results.
0: Yeah, I I love like how you went down that list of things, you know, bumbling Lonnie Johnson. That's how I look at him now. And, you know, it's funny because we see the comparisons between he and Kareem Jackson. No. I no. He's he's much worse than Kareem Jackson at this stage of his career. Um,
1: yeah, he's like, he's just, I mean, Johnson's a laboratory specimen, but he doesn't know how to play cornerback. And, like, that was obvious in Kentucky. I'm like, I think Johnson's a good pick for a team who has a good secondary, who has time to develop somebody. Because, like, he may be good by, you know, 2026, but for a team that has <laughs> to have cornerback talent immediately, I didn't like the pick because of that. But, you know, if uh, – if like a team like New England took him, that I could see that making more sense. But for where Houston was, I didn't dig it that much. And he's he's just big, but he doesn't know how to play corner. Like he doesn't have the foot quickness to play man coverage, and he also doesn't know how to press guys to the line of scrimmage either. And so you just see him kind of like running around, chasing, getting mad about defensive pass interference penalties. And uh, he was B a a lot last week. He was B a a lot today too. Hey, Big
0: Matt, did you know that Brian Gain had a really bad off season this year?
1: Yeah, it was he botched it. It was a disaster.
0: Oh gosh, we're gonna be feeling repercussions from this off season for like five more seasons.
1: Well, and Bill O'Brien had a bad off season on top of Brian Gaines' bad off season too. Um, and I, so I think the defense was fine. I think it was good, but I do think it was masked by the three force fumbles, and they recovered all three of them. Fumble recovery luck. Fumble recovering a fumble is luck. It isn't a skill unless you're JJ Watt. Like, his, like, sack of uh, Allen was really great because, like, he's passed the quarterback, and all game long, like, he was just ripping around the edge. He's passed him, he's able to stick this long arm out, and then, like, somehow jump and pounce on it. And I love the celebration, too, where he just slung the ball into the end zone, and that led to, you know, a Texans touchdown immediately afterwards as well. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think Carolina's offense was a lot better than the 16 points they scored this game.
0: Yes, I'll agree with that because I mean that's like, you're giving up a lot. When you give up three fumbles, um you're giving up a lot of field position, you're giving up a lot of opportunity for your offense. Um Kyle Allen really needs to work on understanding where uh pass rushers are coming from because it it seemed to me he was almost naive about it that he was, you know. Yeah. He had no clock, no internal clock at times that he had to get rid of the ball. And Otherwise, he had a you know he had a pretty good game. He, the guy throws a solid ball. He's a very solid backup kind of quality quarterback. He's not a guy you want starting for you, but he's you know he's much better than you know Case Keenum.
1: I I, don't know. I think he can start. Like I think it's kind of similar to like Minshew. It's like if they're throwing the ball downfield, you know. Like I think I think Allen is good. And like the thing about Allen and Newton, the difference is that Allen's completing the open throws available to him, whereas Cam Newton's scat, like overthrowing this, underthrowing that. And Newton can't be used as a runner anymore either. That you lose that, but I think Allen can be a starting quarterback. I mean, it's only been two games and defenses catch you on that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, like I don't. I think Allen is good though. Like I really like what I've seen from these last two weeks.
0: Yeah, I just I, I would say my argument to that would be um, he doesn't process the game quite fast enough. I guess he reminds me a little bit of maybe like Brian Hoyer that way. Is he kind of looks good on the surface, but. He's just a little bit too slow. See, I think,
1: I think horror is like a smart guy. Who's not an athlete enough to play quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like I understand. I understand what you're saying with Allen, but I think Allen also has only played like three college games too, like in his entire career. And somehow he's starting. He's like, I think he's played as many professional games as college games he's played as well. So I think that's part of it too. And uh, it's different from being backup quarterback to starting quarterback, uh, but he has been better than cam Newton's been so far this year. And uh, I do like watching him. I think he could be a starting guy.
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a heck of an effort. I mean, you got to give him that.
1: Um, so, again, going back to the defense, too, J.J. Wye had three tackles also, or he had three solo tackles, two quarterback hits, a forced fumble, fumble recovery. Merciless had one tackle, one solo tackle, one sack, one forced fumble. Uh, Matchup one versus one against Greg Little. They used Wye on some loops inside around Matt Paradis. They had him mainly playing against Taylor Modden at right tackle. And Modon, I don't even know how to say, say his name. It's, I don't know if it rhymes with Crouton or if it's like Modin. I don't know. But uh, he looked a lot better at the right side than he did at the left side. So, do you think, were you expecting more from these two guys in, the, in their one versus one matchups in this game? A bit
0: more, but I still don't think they were that bad. Um, Watt was the only, I guess I, I'm going to change that because Watt was like invisible for the first, what, roughly half of the game. He just wasn't really there. He wasn't yeah, doing a whole lot of
1: damage. He was first he was pretty much non-existent again.
0: So, you know, there's that. I think that Reader is doing so much to assist the other guys that I was happy with their play otherwise. He vocally frayed. So, I don't know. I, yeah. I guess it could have been better, but it also could have been worse.
1: Yeah, I think Merciless needed to be better. I don't think he really brought like consistent pressure in this one. And I think J.J. Watt was like what we talked about Jadavion Clowney for like three years. That Clowney is incredible football good, like spectacular football good, but not spectacular box score good. And so I think Watt was incredible football good this game, but he wasn't like box score good in it. Like he got really close a bunch of times. And also, they're I mean they're sitting on his inside move too. Like whatever guard is oh. next to him, they're sitting on that swim. They're sp- they're sitting on him for him to come inside. He's become really one dimensional, and like at age thirty, like he doesn't have the same like pure edge rushing speed as he's had before. So all of his rushes are kind of just ripping, but I'm not beating the outside shoulder. And he's getting pushed wide past the quarterback a lot. And then the only way they're able to crane thing other than that is the is the loops inside. And the best play, of course, was a play that really reminded me of Dallas Houston 2014, where you know why. Beats Tyron Smith off the ball. It's, this is like a watered-down version of, of it, of course. Remo ducks underneath him, throws that touchdown pass uh, to Williams way down the field. This one is he loops inside. And I loved how he changed direction against Paradis, like going against the grain, of the loop he was coming from. And then Kyle Allen ducks underneath him, like somehow like stumbling, he stays upright and then makes a wide open throw downfield, which you know continues the drive, sets up a really easy field goal for him and leaves Houston with, you know, zero timeouts and 28 seconds left to come back instead of, you know, down by six with two minutes and four seconds left and that sort of thing. But uh, that was a good example of, like, walking close but not fully getting there. And that was, I think that was my, that was, like, the one great play, I feel like. Maybe, like, there's five great plays in this game, but that was the best play of this game.
0: Nothing to add.
1: Yeah, I, lo- I, I really love that. Like, that play's, like, why I like football. Why I'm a pig and eat the slop, you know, or plays like that. Right. Uh, So the Texas secondary, last week they changed it up up after they cut Aaron Colvin, and they put... Well, I guess not last week, but the week before that. They changed it up after they cut Aaron Colvin, who was penciled in as their nickel corner. They moved uh, Bradley Roby to the slot. They put Lonnie Johnson outside. They put Jonathan Joseph on the other sideline. And, you know, this game they did the same thing as well in this one. So I have two questions for you. Do you think the Texans Texans can stick with this defensive back combo long-term? Or I guess trio is the better way to say it, And then also, how has the defensive scheme changed this year from years past? This is a question from uh, at Thoughts Texan. Do you think they're running you know more, more cover three, less cover four? Uh, and how much do you think Cornell is changing his philosophy versus adjusting to the personnel he has available to him?
0: I think there's a great question. The one thing that stood out, that has stood out to me this season is that they seem to be playing a lot more man. I don't know. I don't have any stats to back that up with, um, but it just my feel is they're playing a lot more man, um, which I did not expect. I did not expect them to do. The other thing that they've been doing a lot more is blitzing linebackers more than I expected them to.
1: Um, like we're seeing edge rushing, Bernarder McKinney. Yeah,
0: and so I, I didn't expect that this year. So I think there has been some imagination. You know, Romeo Cornell is taking a lot of heat for how the defense is played, but really. He's trying to do the best. I think he's trying to do the best with what he's got. I think he's adjusted pretty well to that. You know, you've got a secondary that's not especially fast, doesn't have a lot of experience. And they're, they're going to give up big plays. But look, the fact is, we gave up 16 points today to um, the Panthers. You know, the defense is doing its job. In fact, you can look at the last five and a half years, right, and say that Bill O'Brien's ass has been saved consistently by the defensive play the past five and a half years and today was another ex- example of that. They just happened to lose today because the offense couldn't put up more than ten points. So we have seen some <laughs> more we have seen more of you know, man coverage than I expected. We're still playing off the ball too much, but I think that Cornell's doing a pretty good job overall.
1: Yeah, I think I think so too. I think he's done a really a good job considering the secondary he has available to him. There's obviously you know a little a little like Bickering things that you'd like to see with the with a pass rush that he hasn't done just yet. I think he's like to see a little bit more, but it's hard, you know, with the with the spot that he's in, and also like as good as Reader's been, I think Watts really has struggled this year with like you know Mercis being such a far outside wide rusher and him being on the other end, and then him just pretty much dealing with you know the way guards been sitting on him too. But I think I agree with you're saying. I think they're playing a lot more man, and I think they're also playing a lot more cover one, where it's you know man coverage around the board. And then uh, just Justin Reed making tackles and being the janitor and cleaning up from there. This gave me a nine solo tackles. Um, you know, I and I I think he's pretty susceptible to these deep passes. He was out of whack on two of them this game, um, and I think it's more of a matchup they'll have to worry about. They'll have to worry about you know, next week against the Land and the week after against Kansas City too. But uh, but yeah, I think they are playing more man than what I'd expected, which is kind of good that they're not like it's the end of the game and it's soft cover four. And, like, here's, here's, a, here's a route 25 yards from the sideline, just wide open, sitting there available to you as well.
0: Yeah, and oh God, I something I want to say. Oh, the safety play has been such a delightful surprise. I mean, Deshaun Gibson has been wonderful this year. Um, if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, I've been on Gibson's jock, Gibson's jock since he was with the Browns. I mean, I love the dude, and he's been wonderful this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they're all, and they're playing him, I think, more man coverage than you'd expect him to do. I think he played spent a lot of this game on Greg Olsen. I think Olson only had two catches and they were like third and two, just wide open. Here we are. I know Allen missed him on another throw earlier as well. But yeah, it just seems like they're keeping that box and the one behind it all is Reed who's playing cleanup and after tackles gets missed and that sort of thing. I think Reed's had a really good season so far in that role. He's not like dynamic in making the plays that he made last year with the pick sixes and the forced fumbles and all that sort of stuff. He's just like, a, he's like the fullback in a, in a rugby team.
0: Yeah, but the one thing he does show, and he showed it today, uh, I think it was, uh, was it DJ Moore, but when he got, when he was playing center field and it was DJ Moore in a, it was a post,
1: yeah, that one just from Joseph. I think I know what you're something. Yeah, about.
0: yeah. Yeah, but he turned around. He made a, a lot of ground very quickly, and he was the closest one to the ball when it eventually landed. I mean, he's he shows the range. You think about it, he's a second year guy. But he shows range, he's willing to hit. I mean, this is a guy who has a lot of potential to safety. He's a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah. And that and that wasn't a speed thing. He just got flipped around really bad on that one. And then there was a pass to Samuel that hit him in the hands. And the thing i liked about that play too is that you have Jonathan Joseph with like a 16-yard cushion before the snap and it's play action on first and 10. And Kyle Allen's still throwing that matchup to Samuel against Joseph, even with that amount of distance. Like, usually a quarterback sees that pre-snap and they go, nah, I'm not going to mess with that, you know. But because it's Joseph out there against Samuel. And I think Joseph did a really good job defending the deep pass and, you know, did the best he could to his ability. I think there were some really iffy DPI calls that probably should have gone the other way. Uh, yep. that didn't, but I yep. think he did, you know, overall did a really good job covering those deep passes, considering it's like, you know, been the weakness in his game for four or five years now. But here he is, he's still doing it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one, we we had the back and forth that uh, throw uh, to Olsen when uh, Joseph was, it was Olsen, right, Joseph was covering, yeah, and he just got turned back around, because that looked like a DPI to me, in real time it totally looked like a DPI to me, but he turned his head, and that's all you need to do: turn your head. And he was running along, didn't push him down the field. That's a good play.
1: Yeah, I like Lonnie, I like Lonnie Johnson's DPI because, like, he doesn't look; he's grabbing the guy, and then he gets up and he's screaming and yelling and uh, yelling at the yellow flag. It's like it's so obvious, man! It's so obvious. Uh <laughs> um, yep. So let's talk about Bill O'Brien now. The Texans are two and two. No. They've played four one-possession <laughs> games so far. Two of their games have come down to the last play of the game. They beat Jacksonville. They beat the Chargers. And I guess that the Chargers game kind of came down to the last play of the game. And they lost to New Orleans and Carolina. Uh, this week was another one there's like unenthusiastic Texans performances where they play their opponent. The offense can't score any points. The defense does well enough to keep them into it, but they lose one possession game. And also their point differential this year. Uh, make sure you hold on tight. They've scored 78 points and they've allowed 78 points. So this is like as you know mediocre as 500 of a, a of a start as you can have uh, through the first four games of the season, and the entire AFC South is locked up right now. Which each each team at 500. Uh, so as of right now, what do you think the Texans' final record would be after these first four games?
0: God. There's a lot of silence from my end because this team drives me up the freaking wall. Um, this team should be a lot better than they are. And um, when I think about where they should be, I think the season, I think this should be a team that doesn't suck. But I guess that they would be 7-9 starting off the season. So, But now, now, right? we got to play Kyle Allen at quarterback, and we got to play Gardner Minshew at quarterback. So we've already played two replacement quarterbacks. Even the Gardner Minshew is turning out to be a really heck of a quarterback. It
1: was a great victory he had today. And he he played, I think... Fifty-four minutes without throwing the ball downfield against Houston, and then he starts throwing the ball downfield, and they score ten points pretty quickly. You know, I like. I right. hate. I hate. I'm so. I'm still. I hate check downs. I hate cowardice, and that was an all-time cowardice game from the Jaguars in that one. And so they've been throwing the ball downfield a lot more since that time.
0: Yeah, and and today was a great example of that for, for Minshew. So we've already gotten to play two backups that I didn't expect us to play, and we're two and two. Uh. It, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from this team the rest of the season because they should be so much better than they are. I think this looks like another 8-8, 7-9, 9-7 team to me, and they shouldn't be. And it's, it really frustrates me that that's where they are.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had them at 6-10 and 10 to start the year because uh, I didn't think they'd be able to win these games where they have to score more than 31 points, or but they just score more than you know 22 points as the famous stat goes, and they're 1-1 those games right now. Um and so like it's been better in that way. I think they're better than they I think they're playing better right now than I thought they were gonna play. I think the pass rush especially is so much better than I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be a complete wreck and you know the ability DJ Readers had to completely change that and Merciless Merciless has been able to match Davion Clowning last year, has changed that sort of thing. So I I mean I s I don't know, like right now this is just like a five hundred team. They're gonna play Atlanta, he's gonna throw the ball well. They have a better tackle combination than the Panthers had just now, and Caleb McGarry and uh, Matthews. Their interior's bad. Their guard plays awful, but they have you know good tackles. And like Matt Ryan's been really accurate this year, even though he's been even though the team's been bad they're one and three. So like I think next week's gonna be another like high scoring close game. I think Kansas City is gonna be on by, you know, twenty-one or something like that. And so I don't know, like if they're two and four after six weeks, then it kinda changes completely. But uh, they still get to play Oakland. They still play Jacksonville again. They play Tennessee twice. Uh, so I don't know. I haven't met. I'd probably bump up to 7-9, And a in that range. Uh, and that's even going back to saying, like, they're better than I thought they would be at this point of the year so far. And, like, they're exactly 500. They're, you know, just treading water at the moment. But it's a weird... Every
0: game, it's been a one possession game, right? Every game, we should have been in it. Or every game we've been in it, but then we lose just such a patsy game to the, to the Panthers. And I don't care what anybody says; it should have been an easy win. Yeah, see, we they did. typically
1: win. They t- they usually win this game,
0: and we don't win games against the Chargers like we did last week.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, so, kind, it's, it's kind of it's kind of the joys of playing one score games. Like they could just as easily be four as They are zero and four, and uh, this is the way it should be. That like you should be two and two after these four games that they played. <laughs>
0: I hate Philip Ryan so much. He makes my brain hurt so badly. I want <laughs> to like, be done with him. I want to be done Fun. with him.
1: The funny thing about this game, too, like, this was such a 2015 Houston Texans game. And, like, I'm so tired of 2015. Like, Ryan Mallett's not the quarterback anymore. Brian Hoyer's not the quarterback anymore. Uh, Tom Savage isn't the quarterback anymore. Case Keenum isn't the quarterback. TJ, all those guys are gone, and like, here we are. We're still kind of doing the same thing all over again. Uh, and it's been four years since the Texans play the Panthers, and that, and this game has been like, you know, it just we're here, here we are, we're doing the same sort of thing. So we had a bunch of really great reader questions regarding Bill O'Brien. Uh, the first two were from Coach Dent and Coach Mark underscore twenty six, and they asked, "Have we seen enough of Bill O'Brien's play? Have we seen enough of Bill O'Brien play calling to say enough?" And then, how long before O'Brien gives up play calling duties? <laughs>
0: We, we did after two and a half years. I mean, we've been in the situation for, for a solid three years now. We've seen Bill O'Brien as an offensive coordinator, and he really he has no – he does not understand that you, you develop your game plan around the players that you have. So he's a Patriots, former Patriots guy, but he has not learned most of all from Bill Belichick is that you develop – you, you, you plan against your opponent's weaknesses you exploit the weaknesses, and you try to cut down on the strengths. And Bill O'Brien has no concept of that, which is so shocking coming from the Belichick tree. So we've seen the best that that Bill O'Brien can offer as an offensive coordinator, and it's terrible. He has no idea what he's doing with Deshaun Watson. I mean, really, the more that you think about, did Bill O'Brien draft Deshaun Watson? The answer is, hell no. Because... He's not Tom Brady. I mean, I think, I I honestly think that Bill O'Brien would rather have Gardner Minshew than he would Deshaun Watson because of the types of quarterbacks they are. I think it's just.
1: Or he'd rather have AJ McCarron than Deshaun Watson.
0: Exactly. He'd rather have Ryan Mallet than Deshaun Watson. So Hmm. it's it's so frustrating. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And obviously, we mean that more the fact that, like, the way they play. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, Rick Smith. 100% 100% made that decision to trade for Watson, and it worked out very well so far. Uh, I mean, like, the thing is, that I think the most frustrating thing is that O'Brien does it sometimes, and I think he's also kind of worried about Watson getting hurt, and that's why they don't use him as a runner as much. They're not running, like the, and, like, the jet sweep motions don't have as much of an effect whenever you don't use any running plays off of it that much at all either. And I think also for, like, his long-term safety, you want him playing from the pocket more and not taking as many hits as, you know, running quarterbacks tend to do. And we've seen so the, so many of them have their careers cut short. Uh, watching have him at the same time, but like, you're like putting them in a collapsed mine on so many of these passing attempts with what they've done with the offensive line and them still trying to gel together and having four different offensive line combinations in four weeks and the whole sort of thing. But I think the most like frustrating thing about the play calling is that it can be really good sometimes. Like sometimes like that's a really cool play. I really like that. I'd like to see more of that. Or, you know, I really like what they're doing here in this instance against this sort of thing. And there's just too many games like this where the passing offense is a complete mess. They have no, like, they have no adjustment after Carolina adjusts. They have no ability to really create any open throws to their wide receivers. Uh, Watson's just, like, sitting back in the pocket over and over getting constructed space. And, like, it's... And the other thing, too, is, like, this is year six. Like, this isn't... Year two, this is, you know, five weeks into it. This is year six, and we're still kind of having the same conversations, too. And that doesn't even mention, you know, the fail challenge, the having zero timeouts with, you know, f- with uh, to end this game to not be able to stop the clock and a chance to actually have a real meaningful attempt to come down, uh, you know, 16-10, too. So, I don't know. I get It's frustrating, but like, at times it can be good. Uh, but, like, and I don't even know what Tim Kelly does at all, so I don't know. I don't know if he's any better. I don't know if he's any worse, but... I I guess the more annoying thing is like it can be good. We've seen it be good, and like it's just been so long of this, you know. Like it's just we've been doing this for so long. Like we used to be young ones, you know. You used to have a full head of hair, and then Bill O'Brien became the head coach.
0: Truly, because it's the same same mistakes week in week out. I mean, as a has a head coach. I give him this credit. He's not the worst head coach in the NFL. He's close, but he's not the worst. But look, the guy has yeah, no he's concept like
1: he's like fun. the twenty first best head coach. Who gets the yeah, most out yeah, who gets like fair. the bare minimum of his talents so the way I describe it?
0: Yeah. And and so um, you know, he his time management score, his roster management score, uh, just up and down. It's just bad, right? But the players love him. What else does that mean? Um, but as far as being an offensive coordinator, I, uh, even my wife when she watches with me. Will say like, why does he do that? And my wife doesn't know anything about football, but you know, it's just the poor offensive play calling is just just drives me crazy. You have a mobile quarterback in Sean Watson. That does not mean he runs. That means you get him out of the pocket, create easy yards. You don't make him make too many reads. Get the ball out of his hands quickly. And Bill O'Brien is just incapable of doing that because he goes back to Tom Brady. It's like it's like a friend of mine and. and from high school you know we're almost 50 years old now she still listens to nothing but 80s music from high school she refuses to listen to anything newer than that that is bill o'brien like he cannot adjust every quarterback is just like tom brady and he cannot adjust to that
1: yeah yeah and like i think the biggest problem with how they're using watson in the pocket and like i think that's the long-term strategy for any quarterback because again like Running quarterbacks don't last super long. We've seen it happen too many times. But you don't want to do that with an offensive line that keeps getting shifted and changed, you know, constantly. Like try that maybe around like week twelve this year after they've played together eight weeks. Try keeping the same continuity. Make sure you have an offensive line that's really good in place first. Before you know you you force them into this pocket passing sort of role, and then take him out, like, for a walk, like, every once in a while by running bo- rollouts, by using him as a runner, that sort of thing. And so that'd be, like, the best way to do it. They just haven't done it, too. Um, the other thing that's, like, really frustrating about this year is that they made the trades that they made. They went all in on this season. And, like, I- I've come around a little bit more than the Tunsil trade because, you know, I think he's a very good player who can become a great player if he improves a few things. But I think the tensile trade is absolutely terrible when you combine with the clowny trade, and how they went through that situation where you're a win now team and you're trading somebody who's really good. Instead of watching Angela Blackson you spin around for four million dollars and do nothing, you could have, you know, this version of Merciless, Watt, Clowney, and Reader all together, which would be like a top five pass rush. Instead it's a mediocre one that, you know, lives off big plays and isn't having like the type of disruption you like to continuously see. And so like they're going like right now it feels like they're all in on a seven and nine or eight and eight season or at best it's going to be a team that loses in the first round of the playoffs or gets knocked on the divisional round by New England or Kansas City. Like that's what they're all in on. Like that's what their future has been You know, mortgage for us for this year and this time and they're still doing things like scoring 10 points in week 4 against Carolina. And so I, like that's the kind of like the worst thing about this all is ever you consider like the resources they have and what they have going forward and everything they gave up for like a 500 team this year.
0: I mean, could you imagine having Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins on your team and scoring 10 points? I mean, that, that's why I think the best thing that could happen for this team is for O'Brien to get fired, just let Romeo Cornell be the head coach, and, and put in a strip of dirt, like right in the middle of the field, right between the hashes, and just let Deshaun Watson drop plays. Yeah. Like Like during the huddle. Okay, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. Ready, break. That would be a better
1: offense than what we're putting out there now. I had the same thought watching this game too. I'm like, give Deshaun Watson a stick and some dirt, and this offense would be better than it is right now. Because uh, like I understand like the problems that they had, you know, throwing the ball in this game to Carolina defense. But still, with the talent they have available and how much they've invested into it, like ten points is kind of inexcusable. So we had some kind of like a, I guess more questions about Bill Bryant's future uh, from the readers themselves. So the first one was from Lado. He said straight up, when we go six and ten the season, is Bill O'Brien gone?
0: No, no. I think Bill O'Brien right now is untouchable um, because there's go- they're going to come up with reasons why he cannot be fired. And right now, the biggest reasons why is because of Brian Gaines' horrible off season. So you got to give now, Bill O'Brien. You have to have time to get his own guys on the team. Well, he's had six freaking years to do it, and he hasn't done it. So, but that will be that will be the new excuse. It's not Bill O'Brien's squad. And so Bill O'Brien, he could, we could go over for the rest of the year, and Bill O'Brien's job is safe, 100%.
1: Yeah, and that, that was kind of like we talked about this summer, too, where it's like, I kind of feel like he's positioning himself to not be able to get fired if they do have a down year, miss the playoffs or whatever, by being able to blame, you know, Brian Game for it and then get his guy next year and do that whole sort of thing. And uh, so, yeah, like even if they go 6-10, and 10, I couldn't see him getting fired. I think he's going to be kind of here no matter what.
0: I can't. There's no argument against it because Cal McNair clearly, clearly is in love with Bill O'Brien. I mean, how often do you see a guy fail up so often like Bill O'Brien does? And that's what my article is going to talk about. That my series of articles. Bill O'Brien fails up. He fails, but he still gets promoted. It's
1: unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, another question we have is from Matt Number Three, who of course writes for the side. Um, his real name is actually Matt Burnham, but it's more fun to call him Matt Number Three because there's so many of us here. Matt in the middle. What's up with white with white guys being named Matt? Um, come on, come on, white people do better. So, how much time do you think Bill O'Brien gets? Uh, my money is Or how much more time to learn do you think Bill O'Brien gets? My money is on seventeen more years. <laughs>
0: My guess is he gets four and a half more years. I think he gets eleven years. I think he's going to get a, <laughs> he's going to get Marvin Lewis after that because that's the Mar- Marvin Lewis timeline, right? It was ten years, if I remember correctly. So that's my guess.
1: I don't want to. That, I don't want to answer it. Um, like it's funny to write, but it's not funny to say. Um, no. the, the other question we had here this is from uh, Jonathan Com- Comley on Twitter: Is there a way we can trade Bruce Arians for Bill O'Brien?
0: Could you imagine Bruce Arians coaching Deshaun Watson with his vertical offense? I mean, could you
1: imagine Will Fuller in a Bruce Arians offense? Like he's been really good with John Brown. And John Brown's like good, but he's not eclectic like Will Fuller, Will
0: Fuller. is. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm hold on. I'm going to need a moment. I'm a little bit clamped right now even thinking about it. <laughs> wow. I need a diaper. I I need a hanky. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. See? It'd be it'd be cool if we do that. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and like I was, I I was so sick of watching Tampa. Like I was so excited to watch Tampa in March this year. Like I could see it, and then after like two weeks, I'm like, I hate Tampa so much. Gosh, I hate this team. And then the last two weeks they've been fun. They're throwing the ball downfield and stuff, like running power runs out of live formations and running you know three tight end sets. And they're you know maybe Tampa's gonna be good this year. Who knows? Uh, but they're actually fun to watch, which is cool. Then the last question we had here was from
0: 54, point, 54 or no? I, I was it 55? Did they get that field goal or that extra point? Then by 11.
1: Points? Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh! The we team should team be fans. doing that week in week out with these talented, talented position players. Week in week out, 50 points by the Texans. Instead, 10.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to watch that game. Hopefully, I can raise that flag again and become a Bucks fan again. Um. Uh, you know, because, you know, with Josh Allen being her, I can't be a Bills fan like I am, like I should be. And the last question we had here was from Grunge Dave. He said, Can the Texans eject Bill O'Brien, the bed Clown, and come back in March and make everything somewhat right in the world again?
0: Woo, Dave. Um, Dave's a friend of mine. Um,
1: send, him a, send him a kissy face emoji for me.
0: I, I will. I must definitely do that. I, you know, these are things you wish for. You know, Dave's, Dave's a really smart guy. Uh, he, he started up the Dream Shake blog uh, for SBN. The dude knows the stuff inside and out when it comes to sports. And, and he, uh, you know, what can you say he's right? Whatever he says, he's going to be right about.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's nothing I would love more. Like, I just miss watching Jadaev on client play. Like, I've watched every sale of this game, and I'm just like, I miss you. What have you been up to? Oh, that's good. Yeah, good. And then he, you know, he doesn't text me back, of course. And then, uh, but still, like, I, I'm like walking to the bathroom thinking of you know, maybe what he's doing.
0: Think about this. Think about a, a front four and sub packages of clowny, Watt, Reader, Merciless. Think yeah. about how much damage that does.
1: That's a to top five pass match.
0: rush. That's not top five. That's the best.
1: Maybe. <laughs> you know? Maybe. Oh I think I so. I mean the Packers have like a pressure rate of like fifty-four percent right now. And, the, pa- and uh, the and the Bears pass rush is absurd too.
0: That's true. Like
1: Cleo <laughs> Mack against a guard with Leonard Floyd on the outside. <laughs> Is just like the most frightening thing I've ever seen.
0: Or Khalil Mack against any human being, yeah. really.
1: Yeah. Now, and that's and that's kind of like the whole idea here too. It's like, yeah, like the pass rush is good, but we c- it could be so much better. Even then, like watch every Angela Blackson rest. You're like, oh okay. I'm glad we sent 11 million dollars for Klang to Seattle and gave him four million dollars. So I don't I don't know if he even has a tackle this year. I don't remember him doing one thing. But I, I really did laugh out loud when I saw him do a spin move and, like, land back in the same place. I'm like, good, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> he looks really big. Like, he's good against the run. Like, he eats up double teams and gives, gives you know, McKinney and Cunningham free runs, but uh, I don't know. But he
0: works out hard, and Bill O'Brien loves him. And, you know, it's more about who Bill O'Brien likes than it really is about the talent of the player.
1: Yeah. Uh, so with that, that's all we have for tonight. This was a, a very fun episode due after the Texans lost the Carolina Panthers 16-10. Next week, the Texans are playing the Atlanta Falcons Sunday, 12 o'clock in Houston. And I can't wait for the world to see that, yes, Caleb McGarry is a starting right tackle in the professional <laughs> football league. You look at Dalton Risner. You look at Max Sharping. You look at, I guess, Tyus Howard for, you know, a week. You look at all these tackles here. McGarry can't play the spot. He has to play guard. Look at Cody Ford. Everybody else is moving to guard, but Caleb McGarry is staying strong at right tackle. I'm excited for you all to see it. So, in the meantime... I'm,
0: I'm, surprised, I'm surprised he doesn't have a restraining order out on you yet.
1: I'm, he's the best. He's so strong. Um, but oh. until, until, I guess, Thursday, when we preview Week 5, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to All Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, BFT. Woo!